0: Thank <music> you. so like the end of the day and i'm like dying for a shower
1: <laughs> i totally get that
0: you know but, what i mean
1: yeah just like extra greasy and extra uncomfortable and just like
0: like you just have the whole city of los angeles on your skin that's how i feel right now
1: <laughs> that's a disgusting way of putting it but i can completely understand that
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i was i was out 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 in the town um, what were you I doing mean, like, i'm I was thrifting. Nice. You know me. I love mm-hmm. a good Sunday thrift day. I went to the Melrose Trading Post too. And I got the cutest ring. I posted it on my Instagram. But I'll show you right here. It's like it's like hearts. Ooh, Isn't that I like so that. cute. That is super Um at the trading post I didn't get much. Um I just got this like I, I got another gold necklace because they have like a ton of great plain gold jewelry. So I just got this necklace and then the and then the heart ring. And then when I was thrifting, I found a bunch of dresses because it's getting so nice here in L.A. Like it was 71 today, but it felt like it was 80 degrees or more. Like it felt really warm today. So I was feeling summery and springy and Valentine's Day is around the corner. So feeling really into pinks and reds just feels timely. And that's I mean, cute. I'm also on my period, so that's got to like right? contribute. Right, right. It feels like,
1: like a <laughs> early 2000s, the, like late 90s, feminine. early 2000s coming back. Yeah. Don't you think?
0: Like, yeah, totally. Like I, I grew up yeah, with the, like those just, bright colors. I guess it feels like getting in touch with like young me, like young Katie. Like, Kind of getting in touch with her.
1: Isn't that, like, super freeing when you, like, find your style and it's, like, hey, this is what I've always tried to be. Like, I was only seven years old last time, but, like, it's back. Right, I'm yeah. living it. I'm here for this. Like, yeah, that's cool.
0: So, yeah. What did you get up to this weekend? I saw on your stories that you uh, dyed your hair. That was beautiful. <laughs> Another class pass splurge. I <laughs>
1: Actually this was a full cash. Well not cash. That makes it sound like it was some kind of drug deal, but <laughs> it was um oh my god. real money, not points money and uh yeah, it's actually a girl I met on the Facebook group who was um like advertising her services and her work looked so beautiful. Like I I think it takes a certain person to be able to achieve the blonde that I like. And that sounds weird because I haven't really been blonde in your presence, but I've been going blonde like since I was like 21. So this is, I've done this a few times. Like I know what I'm looking for. Um, And when I move cities, it's so hard to find that person that you trust. And it sucks too, because the girl that I trusted back home, she moved away and she, she honestly nailed it um but the girl here really did a good job she like the picture she took I'm sure you saw it was so gorgeous I was like oh my god my hair is is model worthy um but of course like yeah it's styled so it today. thanks oh, yeah
0: well I mean hair like that doesn't always need to be styled right um I can kind of relate to you on that blonde thing I used to be platinum and I had my hair, like, platinum, like, white blonde, like, purpley white for, like, three years. And I I was, like, bouncing around a couple of different stylists uh, trying to, like, nail that color. And then um, when I was working as a barista, one of my, like, frequent customers turned out to be a hairstylist. And she turned out to be, like, an expert at blonde. Uh, so I went with her for, like, the... two two years and then I was like okay I think I have to like dye my hair back and then the timing worked out perfectly because like she was like leaving hair so I was like well isn't that crazy yeah I know you find someone you love right and then I know then life changes for
1: yeah either them or you I didn't know you were platinum blonde that's crazy that must mean so cool
0: yeah yeah you got to look it up on my Facebook I don't know if I I probably have some on my Instagram too if you keep scrolling um maybe a couple but yeah I was platinum I really loved it and uh I do miss it sometimes but it was a lot of maintenance we're talking like every six weeks here on the in the chair
1: it's a lot of maintenance I was like can you do that like thing where you get my roots pretty dark I know it looks funny but I just don't want to start with any issues and she's like no like that's a thing, so she told me I could last like four to six months, and I was like, Thank god, <laughs> like it's an investment already, so yeah. But um, yeah, it was good. Uh I was just gonna say, I had to tell you, she was laughing. She was like, Do you want the money piece? Like, you know, the part by your face lighter, and I was like oh yeah 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 I want the money piece and she's like okay good I had to ask I'm like why did someone say no and she's like one time someone said no and I'm like why uh-huh. and she's like well sh- she was going for like chunky highlights or, like big Kelly Clarkson chunky highlights I was like what the hell and wow. um apparently I missed that but she's like for two seconds like I guess one of the Kardashians wore a wig that looked like that and everyone was going nuts for it and she was like yeah it was it was like six months ago or something and I'm like Did you hear of this? I missed that. I guess it was fast, but what a nightmare.
0: Yeah. No, thank you. That style. I know exactly (laughs) the look you're talking about. It is not for me. Or anyone.
1: Like Kelly Clarkson. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of uh, beauty investments, I scheduled my first ever Botox appointment.
1: No way.
0: So we have to have a... Yeah... Uh-huh. So you have to have a plastic surgery episode soon because I know we were wanting to talk about this anyways. So
1: I really wanted to talk me. about this. <laughs> That's so yeah. cool. So what are you booking? Like what did, do you just book a general like consultation or what did you have to book?
0: Yeah. So I booked a consultation because I'm not a hundred percent sure like what areas I want because I do have a budget. Yeah. So since I have a budget, I, I, I'm going to kind of like leave it up to the consultation of what I do on that day, but I it's like a, consultation and the actual appointment on the same time. So I don't know. I'm like, what do I want? <laughs> right. Um, I'm thinking of like my eyebrows because I, I just kind of like, whenever I sit like this, especially after a long day, you know, I feel like my eyebrows just kind of sink. It makes me look grumpy and I don't want to look grumpy all the time. So i thinking maybe a little bit on the eyebrows and then maybe a little bit around the mouth. So and, uh, is it like,
1: does it? It's not like filler, though, right? I guess you'll have to tell us. But it's not like filler, right? It just stops a wrinkle from forming there.
0: Essentially, it, it like like relaxes a muscle. Um. So depending on where you get it, it is dependent on how long it lasts. So I think like the forehead and the eyebrows last like like four to six months or something like that, or maybe longer. Um. But like, I think around the lips is every like eight weeks or something like that. I'm not really sure. So yeah, I have a lot of learning to do, but I honestly, I looked it up and it's, it's pretty affordable and I'm like, I don't want any frownies in 2022. So I'm going to start with some Botox and they say, they say you should start in your mid twenties like as preventative so I don't know if I'm already kind of feeling grumpy looking I can only imagine how worse it's gonna be when I'm older especially if I'm always looking so grumpy you know you know when like your parents were like um if you keep making your face it's gonna stick like that yeah. yeah feel like that's me like said that about my eyes
1: <laughs> stop crossing Aww. your eyes like, don't I know, worry right? they go the other way <laughs> oh my god <laughs> that's so exciting though so I actually wanted to ask you have you ever had filler or will this be like the first face treatment
0: no I've had filler done before and um I got it on my lips and honestly I liked it um but it's just a little bit expensive and (laughs) I don't know if I just got it with somebody who is um like less experienced but it didn't turn out bad um but it hurt like a motherfucker. It hurts so bad. Um like how? And, well cuz like a needle is going through your lips. So it just like oh it, my God. It, it yeah. But it's not apparently it's not supposed to hurt that bad. So I think yeah, maybe I've they never heard that it was terrible like cream, that. right? Mm-hmm. I know.
1: Yeah.
0: And I'm like yeah, so I think maybe she just didn't put enough numbing cream on or something. Like, it felt numb and tingly, but as soon as she injected on, like, the top lip area, I was, like, crying. It hurt so bad. Uh, yeah, there was definitely a lot of injection sites, but the worst part was, like, the swelling. Um, There was, like, a lot of swelling and a lot of bruising, and that lasted about a week. Now, I don't think it should have lasted that while. long because, yeah, because every YouTube video that I watched from all these girls recovery videos, they recovered way faster. So I don't know if I just have really sensitive like skin, really sensitive lips, or if maybe she just like went too hard. But the actual results like after that week, the actual results were great. Like they were I I felt great about it. Um, and obviously wasn't too unnatural or anything. It looked very natural. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you would have really noticed right away unless i said something kind of thing so that's how i felt about it like really natural really subtle but yeah
1: but i heard botox is not
0: supposed to hurt yeah
1: yeah i don't think botox is supposed to be as bad actually and yeah i hear it's like
0: very minimal like no bruising at all usually so i wonder if it feels
1: weird though i want to know about that like Okay, like, what's oh yeah, I'll experience? give all the like. details. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you have to take like close ups. Like, I want to see before, or after. Like,
0: yeah. So, I, what I hear is that it takes about a week to really settle in. Right. Like, the results that I leave with from the clinic is not what it's going to look like a week later. Like, it settles in, I guess. Um, and it's supposed to help with like, your actual skin texture and like acne too, which is great. And like, I feel like I could use that anyway. So I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of excited. I'm just like, give me all the benefits. Like I hear you can get it in your jaw for TMJ. I'm like, bring that on. And then it like adds a slimming effect. Like, okay, yes. <laughs> so yeah, doesn't it manage pain know. as well?
1: Like, like for pain and.
0: Yeah, I have, I have really nothing to say, nothing bad to say about Botox other than like, maybe it's like a toxin, but like, so is wine. Yeah. <laughs> and wine has been normalized. Well, we don't know what the benefits. we talked about on a previous yeah. episode. <laughs>
1: exactly. And we, we've never tried to inject wine into our face before. It could also have good benefits.
0: Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> we'll but have to look into probably, that. They probably tested Someone's that stuff it. out, right? Yeah. Yeah so
1: maybe we'll get you to do like a vlog you know a video vlog or whatever we call it you're so cute yeah a vlog
0: yeah I see I hear it
1: both ways I called it a vlog one time and then it's a vlog I don't know what
0: it's called I've literally never heard it called vlog
1: okay well we'll just cut that and we'll call it a vlog you should do
0: it no because if somebody's corrected you like I'm interested like I like truly want to see some videos like maybe I'm just not watching the right people. I don't know.
1: I'll just track that one person down and be like, you're wrong. <laughs> and you're, mi- you're, you're, you're miseducating the, the, the older millennials. They're Aww. very misguided. <laughs> I'm excited to hear about your Botox experience. I want to see it.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. I'll I'll do like a day by day tracking. I don't know post it on my stories maybe I don't know I still don't know how I feel about Instagram and like what I want to do with it
1: yeah so how's that going for you it's
0: yeah it's okay I just feel like it's it's like it's kind of like a deserted like platform like nobody's really there Mm -hmm. and like the people are there are like mostly there to sell something so it's like yeah it's really hard um to, like, I don't know, like, to fully commit to it. Because, like, when you fully commit, you have to do – you have to, like, be in people's faces
1: 24-7. It's really hard.
0: Yeah. So I don't know. But at the same time, I'm, like, at a point where I'm kind of tired of watching people my age, like, have, like, houses and – or just, like, bigger apartments. And I'm, like, all right – I'm in the basically the land of opportunity over here. <laughs> I'm like I, I LA, California, like I okay, you need to correct me on this statistic, but I recently heard that California has like one of the largest economies in the world, like itself. Is that right?
1: Only Lord notice? knows. I don't know. I, mean, I don't I know, but I think it Probably would have a large economy, but I don't know if it could be higher than like a place like China.
0: well, no, 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 obviously not, not like that, but like it's or maybe it wasn't the world, but maybe it's like in in all of the United States or something. It's like we the all of California makes more money than the rest of the states or something like that. It was something really wild. But anyways, all to say that there's a lot of opportunity in California to make your own money and basically do whatever you want to bring in some cash. So I'm like, well, I should probably do something <laughs> instead of just like just, just enjoying it. the sunshine.
1: I know. Don't tell me. You're not wrong. The United States is number 1. China is number 2. I guess probably California is right up there in terms of the United States, so you might be right. But um all that aside, what are you going to do? instead of enjoying the sunshine and only enjoying the sunshine
0: trying to make money off of it I don't know that's the thing that's what I'm trying to like grapple with like with Instagram like it just feels it feels really sad to post on Instagram honestly because why (laughs) really because it feels like no one's watching and like it just it, it I somebody described Instagram to be like it's performative no matter what you do no matter what you post, no matter how you post, Instagram is always going to be performative. And that feels right. It's like <laughs> there's there's no like as authentic as you want to be. There's no real way to be authentic on Instagram.
1: Do you feel like TikTok is a better avenue or are you waiting for like the next thing to come out?
0: Yeah, I don't see – with TikTok, I know that there's not a lot of money to be made. There's a lot of growth to happen, but there's not a lot of money to make solely on that platform. Instagram is is one of the like best platforms to make money off of. That's the issue. And then there's YouTube, which I'm also thinking about. But then, like, <laughs> like YouTubers have, like, really nice equipment and, like... I don't know to compete with that. I feel like people are so used to like YouTube quality videos that I would want it to look like a YouTube quality video, right? It's easy to do TikTok video on your iPhone, but like, I don't know about a whole YouTube video. So I don't know, maybe, maybe not, but there's a lot of money to be made on YouTube and a lot of money to be made on Instagram. So I'm tossing those ideas around. So maybe it's just like you need
1: to rejuvenate that passion for content creation because it can get really hard, like wherever you are making the content. Like I don't know if platform switching will help or not.
0: Yeah, I think I I just have to get over my own barrier of just like not doing it because I don't know. Like I enjoy it, but I've developed this weird like fear of like, I don't know. Like I've, I hear people talking a, a, a lot about this on TikTok too is like people perceiving you, like just being perceived is a really weird feeling. And like when you're being on the internet, you have to be open to people perceiving you in whatever way they want to. And it's it's kind of an uncomfortable feeling to get over. So I don't know why I've lately developed that fear. I didn't always have it, but like lately, I don't know why it's just like getting to me kind of keeping me back, you know?
1: Like, do you feel um, worried that you'll run into these people in real life or people that you know in in real life will perceive you differently? Or is it just purely that your online followers might not like what you have to say or what you look like or what you're posting about?
0: That's a really good question. And I don't know if I've really thought it through. Yeah, I guess it's, it's probably a little bit of both. Um, I think the issue is The thing that's holding me back the most is like the type of content that I decide to create. I haven't really settled on that. Like there's so many types of things that I can do, but what can I do that, that A feels like I can maximize on it. Like I can create a lot of that type of content. Like that's really hard to find, like something that I can do over and over and over again easily in my regular schedule. And that feels fun. Like there's so many qualifications for that type of content. Um, and then, like, I also need to find the type of content that resonates with people, the stuff that, like, people want to watch. So it's a struggle because I feel like this, like, especially with the videos that I make, I I feel like I'm just, like, half-assing it all the time because I don't feel like I know what to do. <laughs> so I feel like it, I don't put in, like, 110% of my effort because I'm, like, I don't know, trying to figure out how to make it, like, unique or, like, not just, like, another voice in the void, you know? Like, with this podcast, it feels different. Like, I feel like you and I have something unique, so it feels easy. Um, and the conversations are easy because it's just – I mean, it's just us. But with social media, it's different. It feels It feels much harder. I think it's maybe
1: the difference between, like, we have a brand and our brand is, like, our collective ideas, our conversations, and our guests. But – when you think about yourself, then it's like, okay, this is really exposing me. I have to market something either I love passionately or I'm left with the bare bones, which is me. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. And also like figuring out again, like what, what, what part of me, like if I'm, if me is the content, like what does that look like every day? Like, what am I posting? So I haven't answered that. So that's like the hard part. And I know like the answer is like just make it easier said than done, you know.
1: Maybe like, you know, because we all crave that authenticity. It's like maybe you just post a few videos about exactly what you're going through now. And maybe that will really resonate with people. It w- it certainly resonates with me. Like when I think about um, the painting account, I'm like, I am literally like – beating myself up for not posting enough on that and like having everything look you know perfectly aesthetically pleasing and having my voice like really uniform and not changing anything but also growing and learning new skills and literally having to teach myself new things to be able to paint different content is not just like I have to have a new idea like I literally had to learn how to paint landscapes last week because someone asked me for one and I was just like okay Hey, so, it looks
0: really good though.
1: Thanks. But it's just like maybe authentically post about po- like that struggle. Like I Mike was like, "You should make a TikTok about your shit work." I'm like, "Thank you." So <laughs> I I um I tried and honestly the TikTok itself wasn't great, but it's the first attempt and it was just me being like, "Yeah, I can paint houses, but I can't paint landscapes like." And um
0: Oh, I thought your landscape looked really good.
1: Thanks. Um, but I think it's something to be said about just being like, hey, I'm in a struggle. I'm hitting a creative block and I'm really self-conscious about that right now. Are Are you?
0: Yeah. I mean, I could definitely do that, but I feel like I just, I feel like it's so easy for me to just put like, I don't know. I, I feel like. It can come across – look, here's me talking about, like, how that can be perceived. I feel like it can come across, like, me fishing for people to be like, no, I don't think that way about you or – I don't know. It just – I don't always want to post stuff that feels like, ooh, boo, look at me or, like, um, I don't know, stuff that feels, like, down. Like, I want my content to be entertaining and enjoyable. Kind of quirky, maybe.
1: yeah. But we remember that we have a full range of emotions.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. I know. But this is, I mean, this is why I haven't been posting too much for this exact thing. sounds hard too.
1: Like I want to be validating, but at the same time, it sounds like you're overthinking it.
0: No, you're probably right. (laughs) You're probably like 100% right. But that's like, that's exactly where I'm at right now.
1: Yeah. And that's fine. And I I I feel you, but your content has been awesome. I always go to your page. Like, uh, it's so funny because I'm like, you're my friend, but I literally wake up and I'm like, what's Katie doing today?
0: <laughs> like, I'll go
1: you're to so your cute. page as if you are like an influencer that I follow, which you are. But also, you're my friend, and I also check you out and I try to answer your questions because I'm just like, I love your content, and that's not me just trying to push you up. It's literally like I would follow you as a random person who wanted to see someone in LA doing cool things, I would follow you. So,
0: oh, you're so sweet. Thank you. Yeah, I guess I just need to keep posting and then like the more that I just post every single day, I think the creativity will come and like the desire like to create will come. So, I think I think that's just like the commitment I need to make is just like, okay, just get used to the feeling of posting. Kind of like how we're doing with the podcast, like getting used to the feeling of doing a weekly show um and then as we get better at it then we can start adding things in or changing things around um but yeah it's just kind of getting comfortable with the schedule 100 percent. starting small
1: it is like with the with my instagram too like with the painting i i've been painting for like my whole life and i've had instagram for like almost half my life and I just feel like I wasn't posting things because I didn't think anyone would like them and then I started posting them and they were okay but I never would have got to where I'm at now if I just kept thinking like is this good enough I mean there's a certain level of scrutiny that I put in so that I don't have a bunch of garbage on there but you have to be easy on yourself too because like this is not your full-time job and even if it was I don't know how you would create new content every single day it's Sucks the creativity (laughs) right out of you.
0: Yeah, no, you're totally right. I'm just like, yeah. I know it's achievable, but the only way it's achievable is if I put 110% in, right? So that's the thing, is it's like I gotta I've if I'm gonna do it, I just have to be fully committed to doing it. And I haven't reached that point yet. And I think I need to like push myself to that point. You'll get there. I think. I think this Yeah, that's my Instagram. That's my Instagram journey. Mm -hmm. the the
1: sunny weather will help you I'm sure it will
0: yeah exactly like I like I was saying it's so easy to create content in LA it's there's just so much to do here and so many places to go and so many cool ways to make content it's just a matter of doing exactly but yeah do you want to talk about this uh episode we've got a really cool guest on for this one we do
1: yeah um I think this is a super cool discussion. Actually, I don't know how you felt about it, but um, Mackenzie is a really awesome girl, and I think she has a lot of insight. A lot of really memorable quotes. I, I think she's yeah. very well spoken. Yeah, and um, she's super down to earth. And I think it was such a cool conversation about like food freedom, the anti diet culture.
0: Yeah. Did you feel motivated after? after the conversation?
1: Yeah, I did. I was like, okay, so eat what you want and don't feel bad about it because your body innately knows what to do. Um, Working on it, but I think she's definitely onto something there. Um, I think she said like a, what did she call it? It's like a point of equilibrium. Like eventually your body will figure it out. Like yeah. Maybe you'll want more food one day. Maybe you'll exercise more one day. Whatever. But your body knows that place that it's comfortable. So like let it figure it out. Stop challenging it to, you know, binge and purge and cut and count. Like just let it be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I loved it. I thought it was really insightful and really motivational and really um uh, yeah, she gave a, gave a lot of permission to relax a lot more about the way that we think about food, which was really nice and really needed, I think. And I like, too, how she didn't just say, like, um,
1: this, without sounding horrible, beauty at any size. It's like, well, that's assumed, but that's not the goal here. It's not to just accept everything that you are right now. It's like... The goal is to accept where you are and to figure out those things that you you want to change about yourself. Why have you shown up?
0: If anything, yeah.
1: Yeah, but just to get to the root of like, why did you show up and what makes you happy and what do you want to do? Like, I think what I'm thinking of is you asked something about that girl culture and she was like yeah I mean if that is your goal and you want to get up in the mornings and make a green smoothie and go for a walk why not like you need to focus on yourself and what you want and why you show up and I think that was maybe the most helpful is that although it is beauty at every size that's not the point of anti-diet culture the point is like showing up for yourself and, and looking out for what makes you happy and disassociating those wants with with diets and food and limitations on food yeah
0: but also not feeling obligated to live that that girl life either I think like that's that's what I appreciated is like like that's a specific image and if that doesn't fit into your life if you can't fit in a green smoothie you don't have to feel bad about what you went through you don't have to Think about drinking the green smoothie if you don't like the green smoothie. Um, Yeah, I think that's exactly her point is like it really is tailored to each person. Whatever they like, whatever they dislike, they get to they get to pinpoint that and decide.
1: Yeah, and I think that's what makes her so smart is she's like. There's no rule like you already know. Um, And she just helps you hear that. Um, She's also just like so down to earth like i think a lot of things she said about access to clean foods and like access to gyms and gym memberships like she was so realistic like the things we talked about in the food desert episode like she already was just like yeah of course like that's a thing totally and i just think that goes a long way to to validate people's lifestyles and experiences like not everyone is living downtown santa monica and going <laughs> to the market every morning and have has no kids and you know is an influencer for lululemon
0: (laughs) for real it just it was really
1: validating i feel
0: yeah 100 percent um well let's get into it i'd love to uh i'd love to hear what the audience thinks um so uh you guys if you are enjoying this episode please leave us a review on apple podcasts um and continue the conversation with us on instagram you can follow us at the Coconut Grove Pod uh, and then at Katie Dustin and at Ashley Hansen. Um, yeah, this is a cool conversation and we cannot wait to hear what you guys think. Let's get into it.
1: We are super excited because we have a super cool guest. Honestly, this topic is very close, near and dear to both of our hearts. And we we met this awesome girl named Mackenzie, and she is here to talk to us about the anti-diet culture. So her name is Mackenzie Costley. Mackenzie is a diet freedom and lifestyle transformation coach. Our, her goal is to help women stop hating their bodies and obsessing over food so they can focus on what actually matters. So welcome to the pod, Mackenzie.
0: Yay!
2: Oh, welcome hello I'm so excited to be here.
1: We're thrilled to have you So why don't you tell us a little bit more about um, what you do what's your background like give give our guests like or give our listeners a little um, insight into what they can expect from today
2: Yes, I am very very passionate about helping women move away from diets and diet culture because it has become so ingrained with many of us that we're not even sure what to do outside of dieting. And it's just become so ingrained. It's, we're doing things on autopilot that are actually hurting us, both in the health aspect, but also the mental and emotional aspect as well. So I've made it my life's mission to help women break free from all of that so they can love who they are and show up as
0: the powerful individuals that they are amazing yeah we love that um so Mackenzie we spoke with you um uh last week when we were in uh getting introduced to you um and you had a really interesting story that I think we should kind of set the kind of set this episode up with um so if you wouldn't mind can you give us like the from the beginnings uh like your whole story how you came about your um, coaching, the way that you do now, um, how you transformed outside of the uh, lifestyle and fitness realm. So yeah, go ahead and give the listeners the full detail.
2: Yes. So my background actually started, I guess not my background, but my journey had actually started as an adult. And I think that that might be a little bit different than most of my clients that I work with. Actually, a lot of the clients that I work with have started dieting at like seven, eight years old, which, you know, breaks my heart to hear. So my personal journey started as an adult. I am originally from Pennsylvania and I moved to Illinois with my fiance at the time and we got married. And then a year later, I found myself going through a divorce. So I was 800 miles away from my family and friends and I felt betrayed. I felt blindsided. I felt like a failure. And with that, I just channeled all of my energy and time into fitness and nutrition because that was also at the height of my interest in it. I was like, this is so cool. I can do all of these things and look at how I can manipulate my body. And I felt like the sense of control. I was like, I've got it figured out. I've got the plan. I've got the structure. and That really just led me to a really dark place that I, I didn't even know, like in the moment because it is deemed as normal. So I was weighing all of my food out on a food scale. I was going to the gym for 12 hours a day. I was picking and prodding my body apart in the mirror every single chance that I have. It's, I think when we actually were talking last time, I looked up my Google photos and like, There are so many photos like of my body and of my muscles, and there are no images of friends, of memories, of anything else, like of actual importance. So that was just a very interesting reflecting moment for myself. But that really just led me down a dark path of obsessing over food, tracking everything, putting everything into my fitness pal and trying to stick to it to a T, not being able to go out to lunch with family or friends just because I was so laser focused and I was binge eating. Like that is something that like no one saw, but I was binge eating and I felt out of control around food. And I didn't go out to lunches because I felt like I couldn't control myself. So even though the external, what everyone might have saw was like the strong fit person, like internally, I was very much struggling.
0: And I really want to touch on really quickly how you were talking about, um, Like weighing food was seen as normal, and kind of the lifestyle that you took on was normal. I definitely see that, um, especially across the internet or living here in LA. Like that lifestyle is very normalized. And um, from what I'm hearing, you think this is a totally abnormal way of life?
2: Our energy and our capacity is limited. And when we are trying to have so much focus on that and control that, it's very easy for perfectionists and OCD individuals to really just grasp onto that because we do seek that control. And that really doesn't allow us to have this focus on the things that do matter in our life, like making the memories, going out and experiencing the delicious food, or going out with girls and being able to have drinks without thinking that you are, you know, spiraling out of control or doing quote unquote damage. Um, also, I. I like to really say that, like, counting calories is bullshit. Biology is always going to win. We have different needs every single day. And when we are trying to be so rigid and strict, in my opinion, that's a recipe for disaster.
0: Yeah. So how did you find, so where in your story did you kind of uh, switch? Where did you find that balance? Where things kind of restored back into your life? I love that. So
2: there I actually still have a screenshot of it. There is a moment in like 2015, I think um, I wrote a diary entry into my fitness pal that was private. And it literally is like me in a diary entry saying that, like, I feel like I know what I should do, but I'm not doing it. I feel like I'm binge eating every single night. Like, what is going on? I can't live like this. So that moment to me, it was like something has to change because I'm struggling. I feel depressed. I'm isolating myself. I have horrible body image. My confidence as is at an all time low. Um, so that was really where that began to open up, and I knew that something had to really change and shift. So I started to make some changes. I also was working with clients at that time, ironically. If it fits your macros, that's what I was doing with clients at that time. And I had a client come to me with her goals, and she actually suffered from anorexia and binging and purging. So obviously, the calorie numbers, anything about that would have been very triggering for her. So I was able to help her through that in a completely different way. And honestly, that transformed everything for me because I was. I was so sad hearing women coming to me saying, when I lose 10 pounds, then I'll be happy. Then I'll download the dating app. I'll get back out there. Then I'll wear, I'll feel confident. So it's always like, when I do this, when I lose this X amount of weight, and at that point, we're delaying our life.
0: That's such a good point. Um, You talked about macros a second ago, and I want to really let Ashley take this. Uh, from here, because uh, she has personal experience, recent personal experience with doing macros dieting. I feel like
1: it's um, it's something I was doing for probably all of 2020 and 2021. I was on the macros diet. And I really resonate with the like binge eating. You're just kind of like putting everything into your MyFitnessPal. You're tracking everything to a T. And for me, I'm kind of like a a goals and rewards kind of person. So I would eat like nothing all day. And then in the evening, I'd be like, you've done it. Like you've made it to eight o'clock. And then I would sit down and have like a bowl of chips, you know? And it's just like, that is so bizarre. Like you skipped eating a banana so you could have a bowl of chips. And you felt bad about wanting to have a banana and like, I was at a place where I was eating, well, vegan protein powder and just water. And uh, that, I don't know if there's anything more disgusting than that (laughs) and uh, not putting it in a smoothie because again, avoiding the bananas. So it it just got to a place where I was eating things I didn't like and restricting until like eight o'clock at night and saving a bunch of calories for snacks. And I guess that's a form of binge eating and, um, Anyways, after, yeah, like my two years of doing this, I, well, during that time, I moved to LA and I was really interested to check out new places. So I I think the pressure of wanting to live life to the fullest overtook the wanting to be on the macros. So I, I did stop actually, like in September.
0: When I met you... you you were like, I hate this diet I'm on. It's working, but I literally hate every second of it. And I'm like, get off of it. And you're like, but I look cute. <laughs> <laughs> and I did. I did. And I still,
1: unfortunately, like, that's the thing I'm struggling with is I thought I did look cute. Like this In the summer, I was like my lowest weight and I have gained like 15 pounds since that day. And I feel terrible. And I'm like, should I try to track macros again? Like, what's the option? Like, what has... Throw me back into this like cycle of feeling out of control again. So it's just like it's frustrating that the only thing that worked was being like so strategic, but in the end, it didn't work because
2: I hated it. And that comes up very frequently with my clients too, because as soon as our first call, even before that, I'm like, okay, what all have you tried? And every single woman comes to me and they're like, I've tried everything I've tried. I don't even, I can't even list them all out. So then it goes deeper into the conversation. It's like, oh, well, Weight Watchers worked. And then they'll tell me, they'll keep going in their story. And I'm like, well, did it really work if, I mean, you you didn't sustain it. It wasn't sustainable. Like, that's why you're here with me now.
1: (laughs) We were just saying that before, like, if it's a diet that you, um, have to come back to then it wasn't a diet that worked. like it wasn't something that worked for you if you have to come back to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: How would you define sustainability in this circumstance? Because that's definitely a buzzword in in the health and wellness world.
2: It's a really good question. Um, my philosophy is all about getting back to you and your body because we are innately born to know, Like when we are hungry and when we are full, like when we came out of the womb, we cried when we were hungry. And when we were full, we got off the nipple. Like no one was doing that for us. We did that ourselves. So in essence, like that is my goal for all of my clients is to get to that place where we can trust ourselves and also really use discernment with a lot of the other things that we're seeing and hearing. So in like coming back to ourselves.
0: Now, when we had this discussion a couple of days ago, you were Ashley had asked you if you would define that as intuitive eating, and you said no. So um, what would be the difference between what you described and in intuitive eating?
2: Yes. So with that, a lot of my beliefs do align with intuitive eating. And where the lines get a little blurry is I think there's a misconception with intuitive eating that feels like I can only eat when I'm hungry. And that is not really how we are wired. It's not how society allows us to live in today's world. So all of us can relate to being at a birthday party and being offered birthday cake. And then if if we're intuitive eating, maybe the answer is to say no, but there's something internally that you do want the cake. Maybe not because you know, you're physically hungry for it, but you are in the moment and it's more emotional, but also community driven. There is another point with intuitive eating as well. And really just honoring that a lot of our behaviors are emotionally driven. So we can, there's just so many different things within our society that like come into play here. So again, while, most of my beliefs are very much in alignment with intuitive eating. I don't want you to have to put a name on it. I want you to eat. I want food to just be food.
0: So you said that a lot of um, a lot of our eating just innately is emotional. Now, would that kind of steer? I feel like it could steer into an eating disorder territory um, where in two different two different kind of perspectives that I see this, like uh, on one side, if you're Uh, Eating in an overly emotional way, food is kind of the thing that you rely on. It could lead to um, like overconsumption and vice versa. If you're eating emotionally and you're emotionally saying like, I like food is not for me. Like you're eating less, you're under eating. So where do where kind of does the emotion play in a healthy way? Food should not be your only coping mechanism.
2: So what I have found is that many individuals use food as a numbing technique, a numbing and a coping technique, and that's something that we have learned. Food has always been there for us, so not only that, but it's easy. It's like, oh, I can eat this ice cream, and it's going to numb out like these these feelings of discomfort that I have in my body, and it's going to relieve me, even if it's just for a moment. And then that in and of itself can kind of be addicting. And we really want to lean on that, but there are so many different things that we can be doing to actually get to the root of what is actually causing this discomfort in our body.
1: So when you first meet a client, like, is that something you go over? Like, are you trying to find the root of the eating, like as an imbalance in their life? Like, are you trying to find what is causing them stress and causing them to lean on food in a less- ideal way? And, and then if that's the case, how do you work with them? Cause that must be pretty shocking for some people to discover that.
2: Yeah. So I have an entire framework that I walk my clients through. And, um, even on the first week, people are like, oh my, oh my goodness. Like I am like, (laughs) I am stripping everything that they've ever known or learned before. So that is actually like, it's incredible just to see shifts, just like right, right out of the gate, Um, definitely stress is something that is really big because just like you were saying, Ashley, like this goal for weight loss is very much ingrained within us. So with that, as we've already discussed too, that like the thing with that is overeating, overconsumption. So food is not the problem. Every woman that I've talked to, they know a lot. They come to me saying, I know what I should do. And yet something is not like following through. Something is not clicking. So that's also type eight challenger in me. I'm like, okay, so you must not really know, you know, (laughs) which is not anything wrong. We've all been misled. So it's always very interesting. But my goal is to really focus on what is driving the reaching for the food because we can try to manipulate our calories and our points and our macros all we want. But like, when we are stressed, what are we doing? When we feel discomfort, what are we doing? When we are sad and lonely, what are we doing? If it's always going to be for the food, like we need to take a step back before we try to work on the end result.
1: So you're kind of more of a therapist.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I am not a licensed therapist, but I have been told that I had helped them better than their therapist, so that that makes me feel good.
1: <laughs> that's incredible, and I can totally see that. Um, but I think it's so fascinating that you were, you know, able to see it's not food. Like let's uncover, let's remove the food, and let's look underneath. And yet, you can still be doing the anti diet. You know, it's still about food, but that's not what was causing the uh, poor relationship with food. But that hits home for me because I think I am definitely a stress eater. And so, yeah, we talked about this in a previous episode. New Year's resolution is to become more calm, to be more relaxed. And I think that is part of me trying to have a healthier relationship with a lot of different things, including food, since I'm not on my macros diet anymore. That was an attempt. <laughs> we're, we're three weeks in. <laughs>
2: Yes. And that is so amazing. And as you've just really touched on, because you don't have this focus on food, you are seeing improvements in other areas of your life. So it's really interesting when we're able to make that switch. And it's like, oh, like when I don't think about food, I am not obsessing over it. It's like, oh,
1: (laughs) you're totally right. I didn't think about it, but I was absolutely obsessing over food. Like, just like you said it, when you're on any kind of diet, it's impacting every part of your life. And I know Katie talks about this too, like whatever thing you're planning to do, do you even realize how much it impacts you and the others in your life? Like, um, she's always told me that she's acutely aware of that. Like if she's doing something different with her food, like if she, you know she's a vegetarian, but is it impacting other people? I, I I mean, Katie, you can speak to that, but I thought that was really self-aware, you know, the, yeah. the impact on others.
0: Yeah, I think anybody who has any sort of dietary restrictions can relate to that. Um, Anybody who's gluten free, has a dairy allergy like you do, Ashley, like you're always slightly aware of at least what you're going to consume when you go out. Um, So I kind of already have that. Ashley and I had this discussion a couple of uh, weeks ago um, where I already kind of feel this um, tense energy going out with anybody that I've never met before um, or I haven't like gone out to eat with because I do have like dietary restrictions. I don't eat meat. I'll eat fish occasionally, but not often. Um, and I don't like dairy. So I have like a couple of things and those are just my personal preferences and they work for me. Um, and they don't have any sort of like um, like uh, weight association or anything like that. It's just more just for my own body. So I'm always thinking about that. And I also grew up in the South. Uh, so in the South, in Georgia, in the suburbs, Uh, When I first became a vegetarian, there are no options, like very few options. We're talking like you can maybe get a bowl of collard greens, but they're 100 percent going to have bacon fat in them. (laughs) Like So um, and my family was not always accommodating. They're a lot more accommodating now, but in the beginning they weren't. So since the very beginning, I've always been like, okay, when I'm going out to eat, I also have to think about all the other people around me. Now, I don't necessarily think that that translates the opposite way. Um, For a lot of people who do not have any sort of dietary restrictions, they just think everybody eats the same things. Um, But yeah, so when I go out with somebody new that I haven't met before, kind of always have to like check the menu to make sure that there's something I can eat there. I try not to make a big deal about it. But yeah, yeah, so I pretty much assume that anybody that I'm going out to eat with is not like does not have any sort of dietary restrictions, they're most likely going to eat meat or cheese. Um, so I try and look at the menu for them, uh, unless they've mentioned it before. Sometimes it will come up in conversation, like, oh, we're both vegetarian. Great. We don't have to think about like anything crazy here. We can go where the places we want to go. Um, but I love LA for that because there are options. I don't really have to worry so much here in LA. Um, but yeah, I always look for a place that has something they can eat. And then in the menu looking for something I can eat as well. And I try and kind of have that with anybody, with anybody's dietary restrictions, like with Ashley, just making sure where we go doesn't have cheese on every single item, things like that.
2: People need more, more Katie's in their life. (laughs) Oh gosh, I try. I wondered, um, you know,
1: Mackenzie, when people come to you with uh, restrictions like this that are maybe not rooted in obsessing over food, but they're going to be on your client's mind. Like if I was to come with you, come to you, I would definitely say like, okay, I have a dairy allergy. This is going to be hard. Um, like what kind of recommendations are you giving to people to not obsess over their restriction? Um, because for me, that was, that was also sort of like a, an obsession. Like I love cheese more than anything in the world. So that was also very really hard for me. So what is your advice for people that come with those issues?
2: Yes. So a very big portion of my framework and coaching philosophy is helping you take your power back. So I don't want these things to feel like a limitation or that they are holding you back because it's your choice. It's your preference. And I want you to own that so strong. I don't want you to feel like embarrassed or ashamed that you're eating in this way. if That is what makes you feel the best because at the end of the day, That is the goal. It's not about what someone else does and how they feel. It's about you and what, what makes you feel the best.
1: That's beautiful. Honestly, I'm, I'm so impressed with how, you know, you transitioned from someone who was struggling with this yourself. And then, you know, you were able to recognize all of these intuitive things that you did know about food and that you did know about your body and, um, change and also change others and and benefit others in what seems like such a small amount of time. So
2: yes, and even while even while Katie was saying we were talking about that a few minutes ago, like what popped in my mind was when I was I think we were only engaged at that point, but I remember him bringing me a breakfast sandwich that he made in to bed, like breakfast in bed type of thing. And internally, I like I was dying inside. I'm like I already have my meals planned. Like this is ah like I've chaos, so right? But but then I'm like, wow, this was a really nice gesture. Like oh, this I should be really happy and excited and like I should love him for this. But internally, like it was a battle. Yeah, I definitely yeah been there, been there
1: too. It's so upsetting.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, how do you how do you feel about like the way like especially on social media there is this um, kind of new way to describe um, like the ultimate girl and I, they call it that girl and that girl is drinking green smoothies and she's going on a walk every morning and she does yoga and everything that she eats is from the farmer's market like she's like the freshest girl ever. Um, How do you feel about that kind of perception of health?
2: If it works for you, like that is wonderful. However, for the average female, an adult, like it's not going to look like that. And I think we all, generally speaking, need to be very careful with social media because how our brain works is that everything that we see, we are evaluating and we are comparing. And that is happening behind the scenes. So we can logically think that like, oh no, I'm just using this for motivation. Like I'm idolizing it. I want to be like that motivation, inspiration, whatever. But that is not what is happening behind in your brain. It's like, oh, she does this. I don't do this. What does that mean about me? And then that's really where we can have this lowered self-esteem and self-worth because again, we are evaluating, we are trying to compare like apples and oranges, and none of us are the same. Um, And even going into this point as well, a lot of those individuals that you speak of, maybe not all of them, but do they have children? Where do they live? What privilege do they have with their financial stability and their access to that type of food? That is something that you know, you're not blatantly putting on social media is that like, oh, I ha- I spend X amount of money on this every day. I spend X amount of time at the gym every day. Um, I don't have kids. I there's just so many different things that come into play. And recalling that the average woman has a career that's outside of fitness and nutrition. They have children. They have a family. They have a lot of other um, things going on in their life. So. It's just truly unfair if we are looking to that and idolizing that because, again, bringing that focus back on ourselves. It doesn't matter what she's doing, but, like, what do you want to do? Do you want to drink the green juices? Do you want to get up and go for a walk every morning? If so, great. Like, using that, and you can do that. It doesn't matter where you live, but taking that focus just back on ourselves.
0: Yeah, that's great. Do you um, have clients that ask, like, I'm, maybe you kind of touched on this earlier, but um, if you have clients that their goal is weight loss or fat loss, do you help them still reach that goal through healthier measures, or do you like rework their whole goal from the beginning, like have them question everything from the start?
2: It's the type eight in me. I'm like, let's challenge everything. Like, let's shake up your damn life. <laughs> Um, so that is a wonderful question and it does come up. So on these initial calls that I have before they enroll, I ask them, like, where do you want to be? Like, what are your goals? Like, let's put them all out there to see, you know, what's coming up for you. And thankfully, lately I've been getting more individuals that are like, weight loss would be nice, but it's not the top. Like, honestly, that is an amazing place to be just for everyone else to know. Um, but obviously as we were talking earlier, Ashley, like weight loss, it's very like shiny. It's like a shiny object. It's like, Oh, this is going to get me all of this laundry list of other things in my life. And it's going to be great once I get there. So I really asked them to really describe in much detail and, Then I am so upfront and honest because I want them to have the best experience and I tell them, so say in eight weeks that we are able to get you to a point where you feel so confident and comfortable in your body. You are no longer binge eating. You're not obsessing over food. You're not tracking a single thing. You are no longer labeling foods good or bad. You're not feeling shameful or guilty after eating a cookie, two cookies, three cookies, and you know confidently how to nourish yourself without any of that, and you still weigh the same. How how would that feel?
0: I like that you touch on nourishing um, because this is something that's kind of been in the back of my mind this whole conversation is um, I love that that you're talking about like, um questioning what is healthy, what does healthy mean? Um, but at the same time, I'm curious um, what it looks like for somebody um, to kind of have these goals and to work with you. And then like um still be able to think about the like quote healthy um, like habits, like things like making sure you're eating enough greens, making sure you're drinking enough water, things that kind of keep our body functioning better. Um, but again, maybe I'm, I totally have a wrong understanding of it. So I'd like to hear your thoughts on that.
2: Like with nourishing, going back to the emotional aspect too, realizing that like so many things are nourishing. And if we are saying, oh, okay, go out and drink a gallon of water, go have X amount of greens, make sure you're having this protein, make sure you're doing X, Y, Z. It's overwhelming. And... None of us want to be told what to do. So when that happens, that's why diet, that's one aspect why diets don't work is because we think that we want a plan and structure, but then the follow through is not there because we're like, oh, I have to do this again. Life happens, things come up and we have to be able to um, really pivot within day to day, not even day to day, like morning, e- morning, evening, lunch, like all of those things we need to be able to be fluid and pivot without having so much structure. So really giving you the choice for what that means to you today. So maybe today that does mean that you're eating these nutrient dense meals, but then going back to the birthday cake, maybe other days it's like, nope, today's I'm going to have some birthday cake today because that's what I need, not only just for my physical health, but for my mental and emotional health as well. So it sounds like it's all about
1: balance and just... Honoring whatever you're going through in one particular day or one particular meal at a time and not setting restrictions or any kind of goal for one particular thing. Is that, would that be right?
2: Yes. And with that, there's a lot of things that come into play, but once we have that power to make that choice for ourselves, we tend to lean for those options that we didn't want to do before. So I have clients that are like, oh my God, it's really weird. I'm craving a salad. Oh, you're listening to your body. Oh, it's telling you, it's communicating to you. And when we have that freedom, there is less, there's less chances that you are going to fall into the overeating and binge eating because it's the state of allowance. It's like, oh, I can have a cookie without beating myself up about it. How cool is that? One and done instead of eating the whole sleep.
0: I love your thought process. And I'm sure it took a really long time to get here, especially kind of hearing your story in the beginning. Um, What was the biggest struggle for you, for you changing your own mindset with what health means and, and what it means to be a healthy person?
2: That's a really wonderful question. I don't know if I've ever even considered that. I think it's worth saying, like, Everyone looks at someone as who they are now. So they don't really see like where they have really been able to come from. So growing up, I came from a negative family. I came from a super small town of like a thousand people. And as we were touching, like I would have never had access to any of that. There wasn't even a gym that I could have gone to. So when I was interested in this diet, fitness, nutrition, it was like so much. And I just, It became obsessive super quick because I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. Look at all these people taking control of their health and being healthy. Oh, that's so cool. So it was almost like intoxicating, but knowing that a lot of the work is mental and emotional and finding your own worth within yourself. So something that I really focus on too is not equating my worth to what my body looks like. And that can be really hard given the society that we're in our upbringings, and also everything that social media is like bombarding us with every single day all of the time. So how do you do that? Like, what are some things that you do to try to not equate those two things? So the first thing that I would recommend to everyone is doing a little audit on your social media. So maybe that means taking 15 minutes of your day and consciously scrolling and pausing at every single person that you are passing and feeling into yourself, feeling into your energy. Is this adding to you or is it making you feel like garbage? Like, do you feel downgraded? Do you feel like you're not enough? Are you wondering how this woman has three kids and they're always dressed perfectly and her house is always clean and she's always put together? like maybe that's not feeling good to you. And there is so much freedom to be gained when we're no longer like voluntarily putting these things in our news news feeds that make us feel like crap.
0: Yeah, the internet can be a ruthless place. Um, Something that I I see a lot, um, especially on like more like text platforms like Twitter um, or uh, Reddit, like places like forums. There is often talk about what what it means to be healthy. And when somebody is visually fat, they're unhealthy instantly. And the internet is like, you need to be healthy. You need to lose weight. You need to eat these foods. If you ate these foods, you wouldn't be fat. Things like that. So it's perpetuating this message. Uh, What do you have to say about that? I think it's bullcrap and everyone needs to stop doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Fair Um, enough.
2: That's exactly... Yeah, like, that's exactly true. It's unfortunate that that message is still being perpetuated. And that is in of itself diet culture. That is something that we have all learned. And now as an adult, like, that's up to us to change that to really see things from a different perspective, because studies now are showing that like, that is not necessarily the truth. Just because you are in a bigger body doesn't make you any less healthy than someone in a smaller body. So, like, more and more people, like, if we are able to actually get access to that information, but unfortunately, we're still getting bombarded with diet culture. And it's like saying, do XYZ, get healthy. Like, this is the way because it's a $72 billion industry. They're loud, they're taking up a lot of space, and it wouldn't be worth that much money if it actually worked. So you got them there. Yeah, I was reading about that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading about that too, that the anti-diet culture movement is really targeting the diet trend. Like it's not targeting the individual. You shouldn't feel bad if you're on a diet or you're not on a diet. It's really targeting the the companies and the structure behind diet culture and, and that that's not okay and that we shouldn't be, pre- you know, perpetuating that, so... I think that's an important distinction to make. It's not you, it's it's the the culture.
2: Yes, and that is so extremely common. So all of these conversations with all of these incredible, like, passionate, ambitious women, you get to this point where you feel like you're the problem. I have done all of these things and it's still not working. What am I doing wrong? And it's so common, right, for us women to be like, it's me, I'm the problem. I'm, I can't do it. It's me. We want to take that responsibility when that's not true. They are designed to fail. Mm,
1: Yeah. Yeah. They absolutely are designed to fail. (laughs) I just have a question a little bit about, um, like exercise. I don't want to take this too far to the left, but in terms of, you know, your method of not focusing on what you're eating to a point of an extreme and allowing that to become a little bit more intuitive. Um, What about the exercise piece? Is that something that you tell your clients to do more of, do less of, not worry about? Like, what does that look like in your ideal world and for yourself?
2: Yeah, so a lot of my clients actually don't have like gym memberships or access to anything. Um, whether that's because they don't like it, they don't want to do it. That is just completely up to them. So with that, and because of that, like when we are able to focus on this, why are you overeating? Why are you binge eating? When we're able to get to that root, if there is any weight to be shed, if we're not overeating, then logic says that like, that's going to go away. However, that's not the purpose of movement. <laughs> And that's something that I think is a big misconception too, is that like, oh, if we're going to the gym, we must be trying to change and manipulate our body. But actually like we're doing that for a chemical reason within our body, because that is giving us dopamine that is giving us those feel good hormones. And that is not something that can be seen by the eye. It's something that's felt. So that looks different for everyone. And that's why like workout plans probably don't work for a lot of people. It's because oh, this person gave me this bodybuilder plan and I don't like lifting weights. I feel uncomfortable when I go to the gym. The average coach would be like, suck it up, do it anyway. That's the answer. But like, that's not the answer. So like finding what is going to work for you and that you enjoy, but is also something that's sustainable. So I see people who like run like 10 miles a day, like something absolutely absurd. Good for you if you are a runner, you will not find me running. But like, is that sustainable? Like, do you want to run 10 miles every single day? I I don't know. Maybe, Maybe they do, but maybe that is walking. That is so underrated and it's so good for your health and your nervous system. Yoga, stretching, dancing. There are so many amazing things that don't look like the traditional sweating your ass off and tracking how many calories are burnt. And it's going to make you feel a lot better too.
1: So true. And I, I mean, like you just said, walking, incredibly underrated. That's so like, I've tried to increase my walking too. Just like you, you said, it's all about the chemicals in the brain. It's maybe about taking a break. It's just movement. And I think it's really cool that you're helping people see it um, in that way, you know, just a new relationship with movement rather than the gym, rather than it's another way to cut calories, (laughs) like stop obsessing. Mm
2: -hmm. Yes. And I think it's important to note as well that many individuals are stressed today. And just because you may be able to handle it and act like you're okay, your body is still feeling all of the stress that you are doing. So a lot of individuals aren't going to benefit From hard, strenuous workouts, that is when those lower impact movements are actually going to help you significantly because you're, you're constantly in this fight or flight state. And when we are doing like high intensity, really pushing ourselves super hard, that is always only going to stress your body out further. And then you're going to cling to all of that quote unquote weight that you're wanting to lose.
1: I've experienced that personally as well. Just um, like going through my master's program, always being super stressed and then trying to work out to reduce stress, but not recognizing that half the time I was too stressed to work out at the intensity I was working out in. Now I was in Winnipeg and it's very, very cold there. So walking wasn't a super good option, Um, but just like walking on the treadmill probably was a better option than like a HIIT workout that I was doing Um, because I would leave the gym feeling twice as stressed. Cause I had just, I'd gone in with like high anxiety and I'd come out with a rapid heart rate and it's like, it got way worse. So it's funny that you point that out. And I'm only recognizing that like the three years later.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's again, that's something that's not actively talked about and it just falls into that toxic diet culture and fitness culture of zero to a hundred. It's either you are all in going, it's why walk if you can run, Like you've probably seen that on the internet. It's like someone can read that and be like, oh my God, that's so, there's so much truth to that. I should do more, but sometimes doing more is not the answer. And it doesn't make you a failure either or weak.
0: Um, Can you tell us um, if there are any leaders in this kind of like anti-diet, like, I I wouldn't call it an industry maybe, but. Like, who, who is speaking up, like, who, who should we be looking at for, um, like, inspiration to break apart from what everything diet culture and fitness culture has taught us? There is an amazing book called Anti-Diet
2: from a Christy Harrison. That, to me, is such a game changer because that lays out a lot of things. And it's honestly funny because I had already had my program, like, written out in my like beliefs and values and all of that. And like that book solidified everything. It's just like, oh my God, like I'm not, I'm not the crazy person who, I'm not the only one that thinks this way. So Christy Harrison is definitely someone that I would, you know, be watching. And honestly, it's so amazing too, because more and more individuals are coming to this space of food freedom and anti-diet. So that is obviously what my feed is filled with. I keep seeing these on my explore page recently. I don't know why, but like what I eat in a day, they're popping up on my explore page and I'm just like, not interested, like get this off of my page. I have zero cares for this.
0: Do you think the, what I eat in a day videos are, are like causing more issues? Cause I, I mean, I'll be honest, I find them kind of helpful and entertaining. Cause I'm always like, I have no idea what to eat. I don't know how to like I want to eat more cherry tomatoes, but like, what do I put them in? So I find them kind of helpful, but um, yeah. What, what do you think about that? I didn't know if Ashley was going to talk. Yeah. I, I have just a quick comment.
1: <laughs> um, I find them really aggravating because I, I look at what this person says they're going to eat or that they're eating. And during the height of my macros, I could pretty much count the calories for them. And I was like, this girl is eating like 1300 calories. Like I'm confident she's eating nothing. And it looks so fancy. I'm like, she ate egg whites for breakfast. She had juice for lunch and she ate a chicken breast with nothing for dinner. And it just looked really fancy. And then she's like, and I had wine and I'm going out with friends. I'm like, how is she not passing out? There's like, there's nothing here.
2: (laughs) Yes. And I, I do think it's important to say as well that if you have not been in this space of disordered eating, it may not trigger you. It may not affect you at all. I know for me, I find them triggering because as I said earlier, it's a state of comparison. So when I was in that, I was always looking to these people and take, again, giving them that power. Oh my God, what are they eating? Can I eat like them? Can I be like them? Like there is no magic in that. The magic is within each and every single one of us. And we need to see that for ourselves. So again, like maybe this conversation that we're having, it may not really resonate with a lot of individuals if you have never been in that space of freaking out over food or feeling out of control around food or struggling with your body. However, three out of four women struggle with disordered eating. And if it's not you, that's amazing, but there's three other people that are around you in your space that are actively struggling and they're struggling in silence.
0: I want to elaborate on that a little bit more um, because uh, Ashley, the people that you, you're you describing that you are, you're seeing on doing these uh, what I eat in a day videos are not at all what I'm seeing. So I'm kind of like interested now because um, I'm kind of like putting the pieces together in my head of like the people that I'm seeing who are putting these videos that I enjoy um, a lot of them are registered dietitians actually. So I wonder Mackenzie, how do you feel about dietitians versus nutritionists? And, um, yeah, I would love to hear your perspective on, on those uh, specific fields.
2: Yes. Um, a lot of the ones that I see and have in my space, they actually are the anti-diet food freedom based. So I am all for that. Um, Oh, there was another good point that you asked. Um, oh, so a lot of the things that I see that are coming from dietitians specifically is why I eat. And it, it's like a spin off what I eat, but it's why I eat. And those I think are beneficial and helpful because the ones like that that I do see, it's like, oh, I ate this Reese's cup after lunch because I wanted it and it tasted good. One and done, moved on. Because to me, that normalizes it like, oh my goodness, like I can have chocolate and not go out of control. Oh my God, she is saying that I
0: can have this. I'm not bad if I eat this. Can you describe the difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist? Because I think people get those confused.
2: Yeah, so a dietitian is someone who went to schooling specifically for that, but also they have to have a lot of hours in training and obviously they're going to be licensed. You can probably do insurance through them. A nutritionist looks different. There isn't as much schooling in my opinion and from I mean even in my personal like coaching space when I'm working with individuals, I connect with the person. If you are embodying like what the results that I want, like that is what is attractive to me because I know that There's so many individuals who go to college and get a certificate, but they like, don't do anything with it. So in it, to me, it's all like energy. So absolutely. Some people are going to have more experience like in the job setting, but maybe it's not for what, for what you're actually seeking. So there are dietitians who are, let me prescribe you a meal plan. There are other dietitians that are like, Hey, let's focus on like why you are eating and get to get to that.
1: I I totally agree with that. Um, Even if someone has more education and more training and experience and it's a more formal setting for them as a dietitian, I agree. It still has to be a dietitian that works for your goals and is going to work with what you're going through. So I I really appreciate that, that even if it's a formalized setting with a dietitian who you're choosing to work with, it could still be prescriptive. It could still be uh, something that works on paper but isn't necessarily going to work long term. So I guess maybe not take caution, but just be aware of who you're choosing to work with to help you out of that rut and to help you regain confidence with food, because it could still be under any circumstance that it doesn't work.
2: And actually, like, this is such a good conversation too, because like, you're absolutely right. You can go meet with a dietitian, but have they, have they been in your shoes? Have they struggled with food? Is this something that they personally went through? Because it's one thing for someone to, ju- to listen to you, but there, it's something else when someone gets it. Like, I know what it's like to sit on the couch with an excruciating stomachache, beating myself up, contemplating, taking laxatives, because I'm like, I can't believe that I just did all of that. I I have to do something else to, you know, undo that when that's not actually how it works. <laughs>
0: What point does a client contact you in their journey? Are they contacting you like when they're at like the worst point of their eating disorder or are they kind of contacting you um, at different points in their journey? Do you notice a pattern?
2: Um, Essentially, everyone comes to me when they've tried everything and essentially they're just ready to feel good. Like they no longer want to be at war with themselves. So it is, I would say, like kind of at the bottom where it's like, I don't know what to do, but like you have this all planned out and I can get there in eight weeks, Um, like sign me up. And that's the glorious thing about it is like we're able to collapse time. Like my clients have spent lifetimes, decades of their life trying to figure this out. And I cut all the bullshit out of that. And like, we're going to
0: get you there like in no time. Do you, do you find that most of the time, um, they're already aware of what anti-dieting looks like, or are you teaching them everything from the beginning and they just stumbled upon you mixed in with their, um, uh, their health and fitness kind of, um, information?
2: Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I think that many individuals get to this space where they're like, okay, like I've done all of the diets and they seem to not be working. So like, what else is there? Because I think that's a common thought too, is like, if I'm not dieting, what am I doing? Like, how do I live? Um, But then there's also other people that are taking those steps to finding this food freedom. But when we have been so ingrained with all of these labels, thoughts, and rules, it can be really difficult to break free from that because that has given us a false sense of control it feels like control, but it's a false sense of control. And that's why that follow through is really, really hard is because our head and our body, like they're not on the same page. And we need to have that support to fully take those steps to be like, okay, this is the path I'm doing. Otherwise, what I have found is a lot of individuals have one foot, like moving forward into anti-diet and the food freedom. But then this other one's like, this like diet world. I feel comfortable there because I've been there before. And it, again, false sense of comfort as well. So it's like this teeter totter, but we need to get you like fully on this track. And that's where so many different things are going to shift for you.
1: So like Katie mentioned before, if you have weight to lose, if you have fat loss goals, for example, and they would be, I mean, quote, healthy fat loss goals for your body type, like you said before that over time with controlled eating by eating when you're hungry or eating what you want and not being linked to the unhealthy habits, you will lose the cal- or the pounds, you will lose that fat. So how do you work with people who are used to these more extreme diets where it's going to drop right away and you're going to have these incredible results, but of course it's not necessarily sustainable. So what do you tell people in that situation?
2: I very much be as transparent as possible because I would hate for someone to enroll with me and not get the experience that they're wanting to have. So I, again, like I lay all of that out at the very beginning. And as I've kind of touched on, like these individuals are coming to me knowing that it's not necessarily all about physical. There is something emotional, mental that does need to change. So majority, most 99% of the time, they are a game. They're like, I just know that I need to feel better. And maybe it is an internal thing. Maybe I can learn to accept myself as I am now because if not, like I'm never going to be happy.
0: I wonder if you have clients who, um kind of achieve the opposite of their initial goal? Like, do you have clients that come in with a weight loss goal and then they end up gaining weight by the end?
2: That can happen. Um, in my opinion, it's all going to balance out. So each and every one of us, we have this like set point that our body is happy at. So that is why I said earlier that like if there is something to lose that your body is good and wants to be at, In my opinion, it's going to happen because we are taking away the overeating and the binge eating. So science, like that is what should happen. I've had clients that do lose weight and there are clients that also stay relatively where they are at, but they are so much more happy. And they know like, because many individuals have dieted for their entire life, there's still going to be that learning period. Where your body is still trying to t- trust you and it's no longer this restrict binge, it's it takes some time for your body to be like, "Oh, she really is going to feed me today." Oh my goodness, this is the new normal. She's no longer withholding things from me. So it is connecting like the mind and the body. I hope I hope that answered your question. Yeah, totally. I
1: just love that. like the fact that your body is just trying to trust you, like learn to trust yeah. you again.
2: That's what happens is that we are in like a feast moment because we are like in the, in traditional diets, we are restricting our calories. We are eating less than what we actually need. And that tells the body that like, I'm not safe. I need to hold on to everything that she does give me because it's feast or famine. So I am going to manipulate the functions that are happening within my body to match whatever she is giving me because I need to save up all of this energy in case I do have to fight because that's what your body is actually like experiencing. It's like, I'm in danger. I'm gonna have to fight somebody. But then when we do that consistently, you're actually going to lower your caloric intake, your metabolism in quotes. So like there is just so many things that are going on because our bodies are so smart. We try so hard to control our bodies, but our body's main job is to keep us alive. So like, can we stop leading that astray? Can we allow our body to like do what it was designed to do?
0: Yeah, um, I know that you talked about this earlier from the start of your journey, but something that I see um, with a couple of my friends who have a really healthy view on um, like uh, weight and food, they have a couple of stories um, where uh, very similar to yours, where they were like really um, like heavy into the fitness world, like trying to restrict eating, trying to eat the right things, trying to exercise, doing it all at the same time, and experiencing depression or anxiety uh, at the same time. And once they started eating more slash gaining weight, like significant amounts, like we're talking 15, 20 pounds or more, um, they're happier. And they're telling these stories like, three years ago, I was 30 pounds lighter than I am. I looked beautiful, like what you would consider like a beautiful skinny person now I'm 30 pounds heavier like people look at me like you know with the stuff around my cheeks and you know they kind of have this negative view of like what my health became but when I see that journey I see a healthy journey I see somebody who has um who is healthier than the skinny version of themselves um so I kind of want to touch on that a little bit cuz I know we've been talking a lot about weight loss and fat loss and kind of the perspective of which you work but I would like to kind of touch on a little bit more of the opposite spectrum of how gaining weight is a good thing and how um changing the image of what health is, Um, because I'm sure you experience that a lot in your coaching as well. Yes, and that we've kind of been like
2: touching on this like every so often in our conversation, but it really like why has food and body became such a conversation piece? So like why are people judging what other people's bodies look like and making their story But when in reality, like, that is only the lens at which you are looking through. Like, that is only projecting their own thoughts and beliefs. So if someone is, like, from the example that you used, this individual that is looking at this person who gained 30 pounds, they have a bias in their head that must make weight gain bad. Like, that is their own internal beliefs, and I just think it's very fascinating fascinating when we're able to to see it from that lens. it's like that actually has nothing to do with me. I'm happy right now I've they don't know where I was when I because that's a, that's the story that happened to me. when I was going through my divorce, I had mentioned that that was at the height of my fitness and nutrition and I was going to the gym and I was finally seeing muscle that I wanted to see and then once my ex-husband told me that he wanted the divorce, I lost seven pounds in a week. I am five two. That was extremely noticeable, and I could not look at myself in the mirror. And yet, someone, I remember, like, someone said, you look good. So that, like, what do you mean I look good? And then, again, we are comparing, we're evaluating. It's like this math problem in our head that just happens automatically. It's like, they think I look good smaller, so that must mean a good thing. But when in reality, it's like, no, I'm depressed no, I'm really struggling. But that is something that is so common that actually happens is we don't really recognize the power that like these compliments have. Like, why do we compliment weight loss? Because that can actually only be triggering disordered eating. Because when we are younger, if we are always getting like congratulated or saying, oh, you look great when you are dieting and you've lost weight, you are going to equate that to being in a smaller body is more attractive. And then that is just a cycle that keeps perpetuating. And before we know it, we don't even know where that started.
0: So I see a lot of um, criticism on the word uh, flattering now. And that's a word that I never really had a negative association with. But I see that the word flattering is um, also seen in a very negative light for that specific reason. Do you have opinions on that?
2: I personally haven't heard of that, but I mean, it makes sense. And also it does go back to like the bias. So if you have never struggled with food in your body image to the the thing that like everyone else has or other individuals have, it may not trigger you as much. my personal one is, oh, you look great. I know logically, like, that is meant to be a good thing, right? However, that's not what has previously went through my mind when that that phrase has came up. It's like, oh, I must not have looked good before. Oh, they must prefer, like, what, what did I look like before? Why are they saying that? What does this mean? And we can very much get in our own head.
1: Or even just the fact that people aren't saying you look great when you're feeling great at a slightly higher weight, but they're saying you look great
2: a lot more frequently at that that lower weight. At least that happened to me, and it's tough. Yeah, and it's – again, that's something that, like, no one is ever really going to know of. So a real-life example, it was, like, two weeks ago. um, My boyfriend didn't know me years ago when I was in this disordered eating phase. Um, So we made dinner and I had gotten up to get more dinner and he made a comment, a remark, Oh, you're having more. And like, I paused and I'm like, just so you know, like don't do that to like people that you don't like know because you don't know their journey. Like I was just telling him nicely. It obviously didn't affect me because I've been so far removed from it, but that is just something He's a guy. Nothing against guys, but maybe you don't think about that. But maybe you do say that to someone in passing, and it's like, oh, my God, he noticed that I'm getting more
0: food. Oh, my. What is he thinking? <laughs> yeah, what is he thinking about me? We had a an interview, um, not related to food whatsoever, but we had an interview um, with this girl, Sahara. And she told us a similar story um, that she said that that kind of triggered her um Uh, kind of like a view on food and eating disorders um, that her grandma used to say that to her. Oh, you're eating more after telling her she should get seconds for later. And then when she went to go eat it, she's like, you're eating that again now. So all of those tiny little comments are like little daggers. Yeah. And like, again, it's great
2: if like they don't bother you, but chances are they probably bother somebody else.
1: (laughs) It's funny that it can even happen within like close relationships that, um, you know, you, you trust and they know you really well. Like even between Mike and I, um, it's, it can be like that sometimes, you know, he'll say, oh wow, like you're really hungry tonight. And it, it doesn't mean anything, but, um, especially in the time when I've come off the macros diet, it's, it's been like, okay, that's fine. That's a neutral comment. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but it's still hard for me to, to just. Uh, hold my ground sometimes.
2: Yes. And that's the whole thing, right? Those comments that come from people that are very close to us, that we love, those are the ones that sting the most. And that's the ones that we give the most power to. And within a lot of my clients, these comments are coming from mom and dad. So, like from childhood, we are carrying these stories and patterns along. And it's like, oh, wow, like, I never thought of it like that. I never put those two things together. And sometimes just acknowledging those pieces, sometimes that's enough to be like, oh, well, that's silly. Why have I been doing that? Okay, like, revert, pivot. I'm going to do something else now. I get to decide.
0: Yeah, you're so right, especially about the people who are closest to you. It just brought up this very vivid memory, which I feel every time I think about this, it just like hurts my heart and soul. Um, I remember being in, let's see, I must have been in middle school and my sister was in elementary school. So for me, um, being in middle school with a bunch of um, ruthless girls, uh, a lot of what you get attacked on at a young age is weight. Um, So I do remember like, always reading magazines and like looking at women's health magazines in middle school being like, what are the ab exercises I need to do? And, you know, I, I have to make this list for myself. And so I privately, at least I thought that's the way that I was, you know, I, I never really, wanted my parents to judge um, kind of like that lifestyle I was like, this is just for me, even though <laughs> no middle schooler should ever be doing that whatsoever or have that kind of thought. But, you know, I, I grew up in the 90s and 2000s where slim fasts were put in our hands, like I have vivid memories of my aunt being like, here's your breakfast and it's a slim fast shake, like at middle school or high school, but the thing that really broke me and the thing that I, that I constantly think about that kind of brings me back to this um, kind of healthier eating and anti-diet is I saw a, a paper on my sister's door with, and it was in her handwriting, and it said something like, um, like, my goal is to lose, like, five pounds or, like, how I'm going to lose five pounds. She's in freaking elementary school, and she has this list of exercises You know, like uh, doing this ab workout, doing this blah, blah, blah. Like, and I'm like, did I do this? Did I cause my sister to have, I like ripped it off her door. I was like, no, I'm not going to let you have that kind of lifestyle. Like, like I can see that it's doing something to me, but like, I'm not going to let you go through that. And like, it was like such a big wake up moment for me to be like, (laughs) what am I doing? And, you know, not to say that that like was the end all be all for that kind of attitude. Um, obviously I still participated in diet culture and fitness culture in those ways, but it's such a wake up moment that really brings me back. Like I cannot be the person that perpetuates this for somebody else. I cannot be the reason that I am causing somebody else to have an eating disorder because it's the way that I think life should be. I I just really appreciate the the family aspect that we touched on because I think a lot of people can relate and a lot of people are going to have similar stories.
2: And that's honestly
0: why a good chunk of women
2: come to me is because they are seeing how their behaviors are affecting their children. So in many, like maybe there are a lot of mothers that are listening to this right now and really resonate. And it's hard to see it when it's us. There's a phrase that I love to say, and it's, it's hard to read the label when you're inside the jar. We don't know the impact that like our behaviors and actions are making, but when we see a loved one doing it and picking up on it, that's when we take notice and we're like, "Mm, okay, maybe that's not really right. And then we take that next step back and it's like, well, where'd they learn it from? And it's like, it's an oh crap moment. And that also is just a really courageous space to be in because you're taking that brave step to do something different and to change the directory of not only your life, but your children's life as well. Um, it's really interesting because I use this example that like you can tell a child not to swear, but then they swear because you do it. They hear you. They follow your actions. They don't listen to you.
0: Yeah. Monkeys see monkey do.
2: Being younger, it offers so many different challenges. So if more women can be that role model, like it's going to help significantly because as I'm sure all of us can remember, like going through puberty and like gaining weight and getting boobs, like everything was very much focused on the body during that time. So can we be better role models to like take that focus away and maybe tell our children that they're beautiful, that they're strong, that they're capable, that they're wanted, like can we tell our children Our nieces, even our nephews, boys are struggling with this too. Um, I had, I think last time we spoke, I told you these two things. So my first client that day, she had told me that her eight-year-old daughter was asking how many calories are in food. And my second client that day, she said that her 11-year-old son was, oh, she looked up his Google search history and was finding things like, will grilled cheese make me fat? So, like, knowing that these things are happening and they're happening early and we touched on, but like, social media is just, like, making this happen so much quicker.
0: Yeah, I remember I had friends in high school on diet pills. They were taking diet pills from their mom's cabinets.
2: Yes, I've had clients tell me that as well, that they've taken them or their parents have given them the pills.
0: I feel like a lot has changed in in diet culture in the past, you know, 50, 60 years, um, and I might have a, a incorrect perception of this, but I believe, like, the, quote, ideal woman wasn't as skinny as she's perceived to be now. Um, I think it got worse in the 90s and early 2000s where being so thin you could see your bones was fashionable. Um, but, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, uh, it was at least a little bit, a little bit curvier. Um, obviously, like, people love to be like, oh, Marilyn Monroe was a size 10, but she was actually, like, more likely a 4 or 6. Um, But yeah, I I would just like to kind of like, do you have any, is there any like grounding to that? Did, did the ideal woman uh, change her image over time? I think it would be really be just beneficial
2: to see how diet culture has played a role within that, right? So who, who deems these women like that girl, like who is deeming them something to be admired for? Because if we are constantly trying to size ourselves up to somebody else, we are always, always, always going to fail.
1: I was just gonna say, I think um, it's really interesting to compare ourselves to these ideal images because it is culture, location, not just time specific. Like you can see around the world, there's different ideals of beauty and there's different ideals of what size. Is considered beautiful, and that changes over the you know the decades, um, in terms of women's appearances and men's appearances, you know, and so I think regaining control of that—it's all beautiful, and that there is not one particular thing that makes you better than uh, someone else or makes you better than you were before, uh, and just
2: recognizing it for what it is—it's marketing, right? Yeah, and I love what you touched on too because. In other parts of the world, being in a bigger body is prized, because that means you are wealthy. And when we think about the opposite, it's kind of interesting. It's like, oh, when we think about it like that, if we are in a smaller body, maybe that means we aren't wealthy. We don't have money. We can't afford to eat. So when we just even have that spin on things, it changes stuff.
0: Yeah, so moral of the story, one size does not fit all. (laughs)
2: No. And like thinking of, thinking of like Kim Kardashian, girl is gorgeous. She's got a lot of money. Like, can we look at that and idolize that and maybe think that's attractive and beautiful? Sure. Do you have the funds to do that for yourself? And are you trying to kill yourself at the gym and with your diet to try to look like that? Because not even herself was able
0: to do that. Exactly. Yeah, seeing any before and afters of the Kardashians is, uh, it's definitely a wake up call.
2: It's frightening. Honestly, (laughs) it it breaks my heart because I uh, guilty
0: pleasure. I love the Kardashians. Oh, we do too. (laughs) Or at least I do. Yes, of course. Yeah, (laughs) I do. (laughs) My favorite TikToks are the Kardashian drama TikToks. I'm like, tell me everything that's going on in their lives. I don't care. I just love the drama.
2: I'm not on Snapchat that often, but when I go to that Explore page or whatever, there's always something with the Kardashians and I have to look at it. I'm like, why
0: am I like this? It's because our lives are too regular. Question. We just need a little extra drama in our <laughs> <Yes>. lives. <laughs> um, what makes a successful client story for you? Like when, a, when you finish working with a client and, and um, you kind of look at all the progress, what would you define as a success?
2: Hmm. Oh, that is so good. I have so many different individuals like coming to my mind. So the first one in particular, she came to me and she very much thought that she was addicted to sugar. And she was very hell bent on this belief that she can't have sugar because she's addicted to it. Um, at the end of our time together, she passed Halloween and she still had Halloween candy in her house. And she was able to eat some without going crazy or eating the whole bowl. Like, so for her, honestly, like it was a night and day difference because I remember very vividly, like we spent like three weeks of our time together, like talking about the sugar, talking about why this is happening, like going back into her beliefs and why she thinks that way and really challenging that. And then she was able to get to this point where she's like, I'm not actually addicted to sugar. (laughs) Like, wow, what a concept. Um, But like other clients have that very similar story. So I have individuals who can now have ice cream in their house. I have clients who can now eat potato chips without going crazy. Um, Some people it's chocolate and peanut butter. So those to me, because I know how life-changing that was for me. It's like, what do you mean I can have these quote unquote trigger foods in my house and like, I'm not going crazy. And it's so amazing even for myself today to be able to go to the store and get those without worrying or trying to have to hide them. Um, I do have other individuals who um, in their check-ins that like they feel confident in their body and they're wearing the shorts. They're wearing the bikini. They're having more sex. Like there is, as we touched on before, like when food is not our focus, they're the op, it's so everything, like everything's possible. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Your world just opens up to all the good stuff you've been missing because you've been so focused on food the whole time. I did have a client that, um,
2: she had this goal or dream to be picked up by her boyfriend, like by a man. Like that is just like, I don't know if I would ever get to that point where I would feel comfortable with someone doing that without like being in my head about it or whatever. And maybe this was something that she saw like on TV and movies, but she had this in the back of her mind. And during our time together, that was actually on one of her check-ins. She's like, my boyfriend actually picked me up. And that is something that I would have never been able to like pinpoint before that was important to me that I would have wanted out of this, but it happened.
1: That's beautiful. Goosebumps. I, yeah, I know. It's so crazy that we have these deeply rooted things that are maybe our definition of success that we might not even be aware of. Um, But the question I have is, so correct me if I'm wrong, but your program is about eight weeks. And um, so I'm wondering what happens when people aren't checking in with you anymore? And have you had people who I guess you could say, uh, well, I wouldn't say failed, but they they said, oh, I, I still need help or I want to come back. Like, what do you do in those situations where people uh, don't fit the eight-week program? And uh, what does that look like?
2: Yes. Yeah, so uh, as of now, my clients work with me one-on-one because that is what I needed in my journey because I needed someone to like tap in and be like, hey, I'm binge eating. This is what's presenting itself to me. Help. Like, why is this happening? Because right now, especially, like you can Google anything, you can read the books and maybe only like 10% of that is going to be applicable to you. But because I work with my clients one-on-one, everything that I tell you is going to fit into your life. The, the suggestions, the advice, I am not going to tell you certain advice if you are a mother with three kids and you're doing it all alone versus the 27-year-old who is single, like though two different humans and two completely different lives. So that is something that I very much prioritize. And because of that, I give access to my eight-week program, Heal Die Diet. So that gives you the juice. There is no bullshit. I don't want any fluff. Women are busy. We got a lot of stuff going on. I want you to get to that point like as quick as possible. And with that, definitely, as we've touched on, many individuals have spent their entire life doing the diets and having these deeply rooted thoughts and patterns. Some individuals do benefit from a little bit of a longer time. So adding on a month at a time is a possibility because sometimes Because I do have a more holistic approach, maybe there are some other things that really interest you that you want to have more focus on and you do want more support for that. So that is definitely a possibility. The reason that it is eight weeks is, again, I have laid everything out in a specific order a b c like i have laid it out in the exact order that is needed and there is no fluff within that and to me in my practice that would be unethical it would it just would not be unethical for me to be like we need to work together for 4 months because to, for some people that is not what they need i'm not going like that just does not sit well with me so 8 weeks let's see where you are then majority of my clients are like, wow, I feel really good. I am confident and comfortable that I can do this on my own. Thank you. And that is like, that is my goal. I do not want you to have to rely on anything or anyone outside of yourself ever. So like my goal isn't to hold your hand from now until eternity. I am teaching you and educating you so you can go out and live your life on your own.
0: Yeah. That's super transparent of you. Totally. Do you have some clients that do return um, that, you know, maybe not like right after the eight weeks is over, but say they, you know, something re-triggered, you know, something in them that they're like, okay, I I just need to like reset myself. Do you have something shorter that they come back for or do they come back for those eight weeks again?
2: Yeah. So with that, that would be more so like the one-on-one coaching aspect. So you get lifetime access to Heal Thy Diet. So you can definitely pop in there anytime things may come up. And what is so good about that too is the first time you hear some things, maybe some things didn't land. Maybe some things you were like multitasking and you didn't like pick it up, but maybe you listen to it a second time through. You're in a new place. You're in a new environment. You're in a new situation. And maybe that piece really lands for you. But definitely because of like, All of the different, like, knowledge and resources that I have, clients do come back. And I would say that it's mostly for, like, more help, like, uncovering. So, like, stress. This is not feeling good in my life. Because now they're able to identify that, right? Maybe before they just thought, this is normal. This is just what I'm supposed to do. But now they're like, okay, like, this part of my life, maybe I have anxiety. Maybe that's something that I really want to work on. Let me let me work through this in a new manner. And again, when we're able to focus on these feelings of discomfort and better manage them, there's going to be the less likelihood that we are still reaching for that food without, you know, thinking about it.
1: I think it's really cool that you practice in this way. And I don't think that I had personally ever thought to do this before meeting you. Um, and things that you're telling telling us is exactly what I was going through subconsciously. You know, when I first started to to do the diet thing, I was. that's when I recognized that I had anxiety. That's when I started to manage my anxiety. That's when I started to prioritize other areas of my health. And it honestly was probably just an additional thing I was doing. You know, the macro dieting was just kind of this other thing I was doing. It wasn't really the thing that was helping me the most. It was getting through my anxiety and managing my mental health and recognizing that that was the unhealthy relationship with food for me. Um, So I think you've brought me a lot of personal hope that, you know, the anxiety is under control. And sure, there's been an upswing in my weight since coming off the macros, but that's sort of understandable. You know, I've been restricting for so long, and there's so much I wanted to eat and try. And perhaps that's totally normal. And um, now I feel like several months later, I'm starting to become more in alignment with eating what I want, eating when I'm hungry, not banishing things from the house, not penalizing myself. Um, I'm starting to notice these positive trends and it's perhaps because of the mental health, because I looked at that one underlying thing that wasn't right. Um, but I didn't know that this is what I was doing. And I I didn't know that this is like the trend that was, um, was happening around me. So, you know, I think from this conversation, I'm feeling a little bit more hopeful and I'm feeling like validated from my choices and my experience. Um, and, and that that is a healthy route. So thank you.
2: You are so welcome. That is so amazing to hear. Like this is my message that I want to share because we don't need to spend another day. Like beating ourselves up over a cookie or saying no for a date night, a surprise spontaneous date night with our partner because we can't, or we shouldn't, or it's going to make a spiral. Like we have one life. We have one life and we can spend it being consumed about food or we can live it.
0: YOLO. (laughs) Amen um Mackenzie this has been an invaluable conversation um Ashley I don't know if you have any other questions but I'm just like feeling this whole conversation I'm so happy we had it um I feel like I think it's going to challenge a lot for a lot of people in the best way possible um and I I'm always of the belief of like challenge what you think anyways um, but I, I'm grateful that we have a platform to be able to do that, and I really thank you for being here with us and having this conversation and being a leader in that, in that world as well. You're, you're kind of the odd one out. Like There is not a $50 billion industry for what you do yet. <laughs> so um, we just applaud you for that, and um, we really love uh, getting to speak with people like you that are literally changing people's lives for the better.
2: Thank you so much. It was amazing to be here with you. I love what you guys are doing as well.
0: So where can people find you if
1: they want to um, learn more about you, follow along with your journey, or of course, if they want to join your program, where, where can people go?
2: Yes. I live on Instagram, Mackenzie underscore a costly. I'm sure it'll be somewhere because my name's kind of spelled a little bit odd. Um, I also have a website where you can find my program, my free resources. I also have a free Facebook community as well for anti-diet food freedom support. Um, I would love to connect with you and see you in my space so you can be supported and not feel like, you know, you're the problem or you're doing it wrong because I assure you, you're not. Yeah, we're sending all the good
0: vibes. Awesome. Before we wrap up, Mackenzie, um, we really love our guests to kind of have the last word um, with uh, with our audience. So um, you've dropped so many just like amazing gems. Like this whole time I keep thinking like, oh, I want to clip that and put it on social media. Oh, that'd make a great clip. Like you just like keep dropping these. You keep dropping the mic on us, honestly. Um, but we just love you to kind of end this episode with something you want people to walk away with. Like, if they walk away with one thing that they've learned from you, what would that be?
2: You can be trusted.
0: Beautiful. Well, thank you, Mackenzie. We really appreciate having you on this podcast. Thank you Wes, so much. I love being here.